the book. How we got it, how to get the most out of it. This is part 18. The subject is still, same title, The Soil Makes All the Difference. How we determine transformation by where we draw the line in our hearing. Matthew 13, 1 to 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. He'll tell us later, that's the devil. That's what he's picturing there. Five. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. That's what we looked at last Sunday night. When the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Seven. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And that's what we talked about this morning. Dullness of hearing, where it comes from and how to avoid it. You can get that online or you can get the notes in the resource room. So we spent two Sundays tapping into the truths of this wonderful parable about how the word is like seed landing on our hearts. And as Jesus tells the story, it's crafted in such a way that the idea of hearing the word in a way that brings results is so obviously paralleled to the way seed, um, seed doesn't just remain itself when it's put into the soil. It becomes something bigger than what was planted. Seed turns into fruit. It's a brilliant illustration that Jesus uses. The word properly heard doesn't remain just the idea or the print on the page. The, the seed transcends itself when it gets into the right kind of mind and heart. Read. Read good books about this. The seed transcends itself. It carries fruit in its nature. That's its very, that's its very purpose. If you put seed in the ground and it just stayed seed, it would be a pointless venture. The point is it multiplies. So far we've studied three truths. I'm just going to go really quick. All transformation begins with the word seriously heard. Nothing starts in terms of a harvest without seed. It's the starting place in spiritual transformation. There are all sorts of parts to the Christian life. But you can't start it just anywhere you choose. Spiritual life doesn't start in worship. It doesn't start in humanitarian acts of kindness. It doesn't start in evangelism. It results in all of those things. At least it should. But it only begins with hearing the truth, the seed planted in our hearts. And this ensures we don't try and define the Christian life on our own terms. Secondly, we studied... The power of the word can't germinate in a word that's too entrenched in stubborn, personal patterns of living. Wayside soil. We looked at this. Packed down soil. The seed lands on top of the soil but can't get into it. Jesus said, 
The enemy snatches it away. Birds gobble it up. So the idea there is, if, if, if I know the word, never read the Bible just to know it. If I know the word but don't live the word, it actually closes the heart to be transformed. Lady just very recently told me that she left her Christian husband because all he ever did was relate everything in life to the Bible. Like, isn't that how seed works? What? Imagine I'm sitting here holding a beautiful, ripe, perfectly formed heirloom tomato. Is there anything more beautiful in all the world? Tell me, what part of that tomato isn't a direct result of the seed? Any part? It's an obvious answer. No. There's not one part of it that is not the direct result of the seed. What part of an apple tree isn't directly produced and shaped by a single seed? So the idea is hearing the word means training my mind to see everything else through that countercultural lens of divine revelation. That's what Christianity is. The third thing we looked at, the germinating power of God's word in my life will be short-lived until the unyielding areas under the surface of my life are broken up and removed. Like, like seed that germinates quickly in the soil, but the roots, they go down. Nobody else sees it's under the surface, but, but there can be no depth. It's only going to go so far and it will stop and the Christian life will wither up. Okay, that's what we've looked at so far. Four now, starting tonight. Intake of the word is not enough to ensure its growth in my heart. So you look at the verse 7 in the parable, and then, and then we're going to read verse 22, which is Jesus' explanation of verse 7. 13, 7. Other seeds fell among thorns... And the thorns grew up and choked them. And then Jesus, telling his disciples in verse 22, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears, hears the word, but, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And what a violent image this is. Choke. Choke the word. unfruitful. When I was a kid, we used to sing a great song in Sunday school. We used to sing, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Anybody else ever remember singing that great song? And the real beauty of it was, you got to do this. You got to start way down here, and you'll grow, grow. And if you're a kid, you go to the top too fast, and then there's nowhere else to go for the, the, the growing thing. Not a bad song. For kids, all in all, a lot of truth in it, but, but not, not the whole truth. I mean, it was better than uh, climb, climb up, sunshine, mountain. I still don't know what that was about. <laughs> Anybody else know? <laughs> Where is sunshine mountain, and how do you get up there?
Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It isn't quite enough just to read your Bible and pray every day. In this parable, Jesus says there's something else that has to go along with. You have to pull out weeds and thorns by the roots. Or you can read your Bible until, I was going to say the cows come home, until Jesus comes again with no benefit whatsoever. And so Jesus identifies these two parasites. It's where we are going to study tonight for a little bit. And if they're left to grow alongside of the word, Jesus says they will win. The word will not choke them out. They will choke the word out. The cares of this world, and he says the deceitfulness of riches. These are the Sorry for the image. These are the tapeworms of spiritual life. You can't just put the word in. You have to take these two things out. What, what I read for a long time without realizing it, it came as an insight to me. Maybe you've always known it. Jesus isn't just talking about two isolated problems, two isolated enemies. These are not distant cousins. These are related one to another. First, the cares of this world are the obvious centers of worldly attention. Security, happiness, popularity, pleasure, all-around well-being. Okay, the cares of this world. Employment, paying bills, that's security, taking care of self. Those are the goals of everyone on planet Earth. We feel pressure to achieve those things. Everybody does. Second thing he talks about, the deceitfulness of riches. And here's where this comes in. Because we live in a world under the sway of the father of all lies. And his biggest and grandest and most successful lie is that this, riches, this is the answer to this, the cares of this world. Happiness, pleasure, security. This is what you need. Wealth will answer to those concerns in a way that nothing else can. And here's the punchline from Jesus, okay? If he were sitting here tonight, he would say something like this. If you believe that, put your Bible away. It is useless to you. You can't spread the seed of the word over the top of that colossal lie and have it work. Before the word can bring its transforming life into the soil of your mind and heart, you need to set a brush fire to those two lies. This is what the life of faith is all about. What, what do you interpret faith to mean? And generally, people in the church, 
consider faith to mean um, sort of be believing, holding to certain ideas as being true. And, and that's a part of faith. I'm, I'm not denying it. The faith. It's very important, the content of it. But faith is better defined, I think, in terms of the resistance. The resistance. The rejection of anything else as ultimately satisfying or meaningful apart from the truth of God's word. Faith means carving out all false affections. Faith means building the goals and aspirations of my life around the promises and truths of God's word. Not just knowing them, but, but co constructing a direction to my life that acts as though those are the most important things. Faith means saying with David, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from, from the honeycomb. We don't have honeycombs much anymore, but get a picture of a jar then if that helps you. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, it's great reward. Great reward. See, without that attitude, there's, there's, there's no point in taking up God's word. That's not cruel on the part of Jesus. He's simply saying it will constantly be telling you things you won't believe. Do you see it? It will constantly be telling you things you won't believe about producing happiness in your life, about finding security in life, about finding meaning in life, about getting the greatest joy in life. This book is going to constantly tell you things that will sound ridiculous if the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches aren't dealt with first. This world, this book, this word will tell you that Dying is gain. It will tell you that you are blessed when people persecute you for Jesus' sake. It will tell you that hunger for God is better than hunger for riches. None of those truths, none of the truths of the word are believable in a worldly mind. They're ridiculous in a worldly mind. So Jesus says until those weeds are rejected as lies and until they're ripped up by their roots, they will choke out the preciousness of God's life-giving truth. Paul says the same thing. We're, by the way, we're 70% done. 67%. Paul gives this, this same um, faith fight the fight against the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus talked about it. I gave you a reference to how David started to think about it. Now Paul talks about this same colossal mental battle. 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 12. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced, pierced themselves with many pangs. Eleven. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee these things. Flee these. Like if you're... If you're in that apartment building in London and all the flames are engulfing all those floors and you have a chance to get out of the building, get that, flee, flee these things. Run from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You were saved, you made good confession, eternal life. Now he says, take hold of that. So what is the good fight of faith? Verse 12. What is it? Well, Paul tells us. Here's what the good fight of faith is. It's pushing back the encroaching lies of verses 9 and 10. That, that somehow riches, wealth, will answer to the cares of this life. The fight of faith is never done because that lie never goes away. These should be scary words for... Here's what happens. My experience is what happens is people sit in church and think of somebody they know who has lots of money. And that's not it. This is, this is like us. This is us. They're designed to, to kind of wake us up and shake us up. We're supposed to assume that we can be blind and deceived like that. Point number five. In a good heart, the good heart is a, is a heart that has an ongoing plan for weeding. Okay? Ripping the thorns out. Do you ever notice that? Like, I go out, weeds are, are such... Uh, they're incredible things. Who, who teaches dandelions to duck when you get the lawnmower out? Has anybody else noticed that? You're, you're going over to some patch of ground and you've spent a small fortune buying every Scots product that's supposed to make grass grow and nothing works. And then you've got a patch of concrete by the side of your house and there's weeds coming up right through the cracks in the cement. They're sturdy things, weeds. They are hard to get rid of. Jesus knew what he was talking about 
when he talked about these things that grow up and choke out the word. You're never done with them. In a good heart, the word can produce, point number five, results far beyond the individual's own strength and ability. So eight and nine, Jesus says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, don't be a dull hearer, let him hear. 23 explains those two verses. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. Not like that hard-packed soil where he didn't understand, the enemy snatches it away. Hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. In another, 30. I used to think those measurements of fruitfulness, a hundred. 60, 30 fold. I used to think they were sort of like fixed limits. So, so you know, Pastor Chad, he's a hundred folder. And Pastor Kelly is a 60 folder. Pastor Tom, sorry, 30 fold. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say. And then there's the fact that Mark, if you read the parable, actually reverses those numbers, moving from 30 to 60 to 100. Which, which shows me that the order of increase or decrease isn't fixed. It isn't inevitable. Spiritual flux and spiritual growth is tied to hearing. That we draw the line where we will stop, where we will respond, where we will deal with weeds, where we will pull out the rocks under the surface. And you think of Jesus' strong words in verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. To the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This, this is the verse being fulfilled in those closing words of the parable. The number 30, 60, 100, or 100, 60, 30. Those are living numbers. They don't stay the same. They're, they're meant to do two things. They're meant to warn and they're meant to encourage. The Bible always does both. Churches that just warn will wear people out. Churches that just encourage will give false security. Always come at biblical truth with the two wings of truth intact. The warning is geared to people like me, especially to people like me. People who can add up accumulated years of service and study and I can build quite a pile of my past life and actually feel that I've established some kind of credit with God that might free me to pass on the next summons of the Spirit in my life. And the moment I do that, Jesus is saying, it's not just that I'm not listening at this point. It's that all that I think I'm relying on for my status spiritually starts to evaporate and reveals itself to be fraudulent. But there's also great comfort. That's how I want to wrap up. 30-fold. 60-fold. Hundredfold. Those numbers add an answer to 
the old fear that everyone in this room has in one form or another at one time or another. And Jesus relates the power of his word to deal with this fear. Here's the fear. God has things for other people. God does things for other people. But it's never going to work for me. If I could reach into your heart tonight, other people might be able to move on to great spiritual heights, but I will never get out of this rut. And I've dealt with people long enough to know that the devil comes along right at that moment and he speaks into your mind and into your heart and you, you, you don't even recognize it's him, you think it's you, and he says, that's right, that's right. You don't qualify for this. You're, I don't know, you had an abortion. You're a single parent. Your kids are never going to turn out. Your marriage wasn't established on biblical grounds. Neither one of you were Christians. You're never going to find happiness with that spouse. That's right. You never will win the battle with pornography. You're, you're too weak. You've tried before. That sermon, it might work for other people, what Pastor Don is talking about, but not, not for you. Not for you. And I wonder how many, how many times in churches across Canada, across North America, I wonder how many millions of times in millions of ways in churches all over the place those words will be whispered, reinforced in the minds of Christians as the seed of the word is planted into their circumstances. And I wonder how many people will give up before they start. And Jesus says, no, it can go 30, 60, 100. You have no idea what my word can do in your life. If you've never taken anything I said seriously before in this church, Please hear this. If I didn't believe this, I would quit tonight. God's word is full of power. Believe that God's word is full of power. That the same Holy Spirit who is churning up the ingredients of creation in Genesis chapter 1 the same Holy Spirit that came on a young virgin named Mary and conceived a child without her ever knowing a man. That's the Holy Spirit who indwells the word, who carries it into your heart. It will multiply in your heart if you hear it on our Lord's terms. It has to be received in faith. It has to be received with obedience. True, you need to root out. Root out competing counsel. All that would argue the lies with God's revealed truth. But for those who humbly receive the engrafted worm, James says it's able to save your soul. You see, when Jesus wraps this up and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. What do you see happening there? This isn't Jesus getting together with the ball team between innings and saying, okay guys, listen up. This is Jesus saying, if you will hear this, 
I promise you, this works. If you've got ears, you will never use them to any better, more fruitful purpose than humbly, prayerfully hearing and applying the word. It is able to save everything about you. And all God's faithful hearers said, let's pray.